Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You may be seated. We've been studying this letter of Paul to the church of Ephesus beginning last week. And um, I showed kind of an outline of where we're going with this. Paul, in his writing of this letter, um, basically breaks down the two primary sections. First of all, you have the doctrinal or the teaching section. um, And then you have the practical section. How does it apply to my life section? And it transitions at chapter 4. So the first three chapters are all the doctrine, the teaching, the the talking about the the details of our faith. And then beginning in chapter 4, he begins by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Based upon everything I just told you in those first three chapters, my challenge to you, is that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were were called. So last week, we began looking at this calling, this um, what God has done for us in, in the first um, 13, 14 verses about God's sovereignty. And as we're going to look at the points from that real quick, we're going to realize that all those points didn't necessarily say God, 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 God. Rather, it says we, 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 we. But we understand that they were all being from in the passive, that it's what God has done for us. Based upon all those things that God has done for us, and based upon the fact that the believers of Ephesus had responded, we're going to look at Paul's first prayer for the saints um, today. And so you can kind of see where we're going to go with this. But last week, as we looked at that passage, we saw how, again, inductive Bible study, right? That in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Him, in Him. Everything we have is in Him. This is all about Christ, all about God, okay? And everything that's in the blue, and I know that's hard to see way out there, okay? But all these things that are in the blue are the things that He has done for us. He has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has accepted us. He has redeemed us and given us forgiveness. He has caused us to make known, uh, He's made known to us the mystery of His will. He's given us an inheritance. He sealed us. And so we saw all those things that God has done for us. And these things, though, they, they point to us. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are accepted. We are redeemed and pardoned. We're informed. We're promised. We're sealed. They're all Passive. I didn't do any of them. I did nothing. I happened to be the recipient of all those things. These are things that God has done for you. If you heard and trusted the word and work of God. It's his plan. And so as we talked from Isaiah 48 last week, and I had the kids quote that, right? That thus says the Lord, who is God, who created the heavens, who did not create it in vain, but formed it to be inhabited. 
God had a plan when He made the heavens and the earth. Before He ever laid the foundations we, we read in the very first part of Ephesians 1, that God already had a plan that He was going to choose us in Christ. That means that before He ever made the heavens and the earth, He knew it would be inhabited. That was His plan. And He knew that those who He placed on the earth would rebel against Him. And that we would need a Redeemer. We would need to be purchased back. And so for me, this redemption and pardon thing is so huge. He bought me. But then He pardoned me. I deserve, again, as I mentioned last week, I'm on death row. That's what I deserved. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I did nothing. In fact, I did everything wrong. But in spite of me, God, 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 God. And so the only part I got is the very end, right? And you also heard the word of truth. And after you heard the word of truth, you what? You believed. That's it. That's it. You haven't got to do anything other than what? Believe. Believe. Why is it so hard? Jesus said if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain what? Be moved and cast into the sea. And it would be, it'd be done for you. Oh, ye of little faith. If only you'd believe. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So again, I don't know who's here today, but before we move into Paul's prayer, this is for, for us. If you're here today and you've never received into your heart, you've never believed, you've never trusted what Christ has done for you, behold, today is the day of salvation. He's done all these things for you. How can you say no? It's your choice to accept or reject. The presentation's there. But if you say you know him, and he's done all these things for you, how can you not want to live for him? Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy. You're my righteousness. Oh, to know you in the power of your resurrection, but to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings, to become like you in your death, my Lord, to be with you and never die. Is it your desire, your hunger, your passion to want to know him better who has done all these things for you? That was Paul's prayer for the believers. He was so overwhelmed by what he's, what he's sharing with them. I'm thinking reminiscing as well <laughs> what, what God has done for him. That he turns around now and he just bursts out in his prayer, the first of his prayers for the believers of Ephesus. And so hopefully you, you have it, your Bible open to it. It's up here on the screen. But I love it when, when, when I'm teaching and I don't have to come up with an outline. I mean, I still have to come up with an outline, but God has the outline already for me. It's just kind of like there, chunk, 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 chunk. All you can do is teach what I've written, Bob. Okay? And so, so there's the outline. It's all there, right? Therefore, I also, what? After I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, that's the basis of his prayer, right? We'll talk about it in a moment. Do not cease, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, right? That's the components of it. We'll talk about that in a moment. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's the, the what? That's the core of His prayer. 
And then the why, the purpose of it, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, that you may know the exceeding riches of His glory of His inheritance, that you may know the exceeding greatness of His power to us were to believe. And He goes on. So I want to ask you right off the bat, as we get into this, when's the last time you've been so overwhelmed with what God has done for you that you are just consumed with prayer, consumed with praise, not just for yourself, but for others, that others would have what you got. Sounds a little braggadocious. Sounds a little selfish. Like, you know, and I don't mean it that way. I yearn for people to know God like I know Him. I yearn for people to, to, for God to reveal Himself to them as I believe He's revealed Himself to me. And I don't, again, I don't, I don't mean to, again, go back to the first, there's nothing that I have because of Bob. Bob has done everything he could to fight against it and kick against it and, and push it away. But God has been so faithful and slamming me up against walls when I need to be slammed up against walls. To stop me in my tracks when I need my tracks to be stopped. Do you get what I'm saying? Because he loves me with an everlasting love. And it's his desire for me to know him deeper, deeper, deeper. To be conformed to the image of his son. That I may look like Jesus on the earth. And I am such a marred image of it. But he who began the good work in me is continuing to perform it to the day of Christ. Isn't that kind of cool? I know it's true. His word is true. He's promised it to me, and I'm grabbing it. So Paul, in his prayer for the saints, the basis of his prayer, first is that after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, this is a two-part concept that he talks about to the Colossians and the Thessalonians as well. He's consumed with this thing, but it goes back to this Jewish basis, and we're going to see this Jewish basis throughout Paul's prayer. It goes back to what is called the Shema. Okay, kiddos, Wednesday night, I'm putting you on the spot again. Do I have anybody here? Alessandra, all the other kids left. They said, no, Pastor Bob's going to put me on the spot. Oh, Rosie, you're there too. I see you. Okay, do you remember what the... Oh, that's actually Emily. There's Rosie over there, right? There we go, got it. All right, so Alessandra, Rosie, Emily, what's the word Shema mean? Do you remember? I'm putting you on the spot. Do you remember what it means? Remember it was on the screen on Wednesday night? Do you remember what the word, the Hebrew word Shema means? No, it wasn't God. It was the first word. Shema Israel, Yahweh, I don't know. Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Did I do that okay? Okay, good. So, so, Shema is to, is to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hey, in fact, Alessandra, What's the most important verse in the entire Bible? Do you remember what it is? We talked about it on Wednesday. That there is one verse that's the most important verse in the entire Bible. Do you remember it, Emily? Oh, you guys are killing me. I'm going to do the call of friend and go to the Zoom people. Anyways. Oh, oh, excuses, excuses. You're right. You weren't here. Wow, it's down to you two. Emily, Rosie, come on. you got to help me out here. You're killing me. Okay? So, okay, I'm going to ask you adults. So here we go. In the entire Bible, what's the most important verse in the entire Bible? Good. This is an all play. I'll, I'll say it so everybody else in Zoom can hear it. Oh, you're cheating because I have it up on the screen. Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's actually 5, five to 9 or 4 to 9. Okay, but Deuteronomy chapter six verse five is specifically the verse. Okay, inside insider trading. Um, anyways, a lot of people want to tell me John three sixteen. It's a great verse, but it's not the most important verse in the Bible. Some people then want to say Ephesians two eight and nine. It's a great verse, but it's not the most important in the Bible. I know, without beyond a shadow of doubt, that Deuteronomy chapter six verse five is the most important verse in the entire Bible. How do I know it? You say I don't even know what Deuteronomy six verse five is, but how do I know that it is? Jesus said, Jesus said, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? He didn't stop. He didn't have to think, well, there's 613 of them. You want me to pick one? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from the book of Leviticus. The Shema begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is Ichad. He's one. Because of that, that's the faith. Your faith. Your faith for all of Israel, their faith was in who? Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh is the center of your faith. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh, your God, Yahweh is Echad. He has one. And you shall love Yahweh with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall... Um, Teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house or whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down and whether you're rised up. You shall put them as a sign upon your hand, as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them upon a doorpost on your house and on your gates. That's the Shema. That was the core of the main teaching for a Jewish individual they understood. It summarized everything. Their faith and their love. Their faith and their love. You get it? Their faith was in who? Yahweh. Yahweh alone. And they had then had a love for who? Yahweh. With all their heart, with all their soul, all their strength. I think it's kind of cool that Paul comes every time he, he's praying for believers. He's praying for them regarding their faith and their love. And their faith is in who? The Lord Jesus. In Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, right? But Jesus said in John eight twenty four, unless you believe I am, I am. Unless you believe I am Yahweh, you'll die in your sins. This is all one the same for him. If we're going through the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to see, we would see that very clearly that, that, that Paul says that he was in a very nature God. And he was given the name that is above every name. That's the name Yahweh. So a little side thing, just that after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, you understood who he was. And then your love for the saints. Well, this is love for the saints, not love for Yahweh. But here's the deal. Remember the greatest commandment is to do what? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with our soul, all our mind, our strength. What was the second like unto it? Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus said that a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that what? You are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then you can read 1 John 3 and 1 John 4 where it talks about how that love is then displayed. And if you don't have a love for one another, 1 John, if you don't have that love for one another, for the brethren, then he says, you're not mine. That's a pretty hard thing. I didn't say it. God says it. They're indicators whether you really are a believer or not. One of the indicators is, do you love the brethren? If you're all about you, you're not about God. Those who love God will love those who God loves. Do you track with that one? Can I do this, extend this a little further? So your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, that's kind of cool. Okay? But I can, can I extend this one f- step further? Does God love your neighbor? I mean, literally your neighbor. You know, that neighbor who doesn't know him. That neighbor who spits on his face. That neighbor who would do anything he could to defame the name of God. Does God still love him? He does, just like he loved me, because I was that neighbor. Two things that are going to define believers. And Elijah, you talked about it, right? Part of your testimony. Two things that are going to define a believer is your faith. The deity of Christ. Who he is. And then how that affects your life. A love for the church. A love for the brethren. The body of Christ. And you got to ask yourself, okay, how is my life defined? Do I have those two things? It boils down. Proper faith, proper love. Paul says, after I heard of these things, I couldn't stop but praying for you. In his prayer, the components of his prayer then, literally what it says in, in the Greek, it comes back and says, therefore I also do not cease giving thanks over you and making remembrance of you in my prayer. There was only one verb there. The verb is not ceasing. I don't cease. I don't cease what? And then there's two participles that describe the verb. 
So the two participles are what he's not ceasing at. The one is giving thanks, and the other one is making. Making what? Making memories. Making remembrances. He's purposely remembering. So I think on you guys. I think of what God is doing in your life. I see your faith. I see the love that you have. And I can't help but give glory and praise and thanksgiving to God for you. And as I give thanks to God for what He's doing in you, it causes me to remember. I start choosing to remember all that God has been doing in your life. And that leads me then to making requests. So Paul says the same thing here to the Philippians. I'm going to slide through that. It leads me then to this request. And what's the request? That he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to know more and more. I want you to go deeper and deeper. I don't want you to be complacent and content with pablum thinking. Carrie, by this time next week, you're hoping to probably not be here, but holding Evelyn. Hoping. It's like the return of Christ. I love it. I love it. Star, you're doing how many weeks? Two? Yeah, yeah, but you're cheating. You, you, you have the, uh, the, the, what do you call it? C-section plant, okay? So I can't use you for the, for the, for the illustration. I can, but, because honestly, because God could work His work before that, right? Amen. I love it because this is like the return of Jesus right now. I don't know the day or the hour, but boy, is the world ready. You're ready, aren't you? You don't want to hang on for a couple more months, do you? No, no, thank you very much. I'm, I'm ready at this moment. God tells us in his word that the return of Christ is like, like a pregnant woman in travail. Like, this is going to happen. This is so cool, right? And so, um, Oh, why did I go there? I'm so distracted myself. The, to go deeper and deeper. Anyways, whatever. I, I just want you guys to, 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 to grow and to learn Christ so much more. I'm probably thinking about that's why we want our kids. Oh, oh, the pablum. Yeah. You're, sorry. You gotta be in my brain for a moment. You'll get it. It's like, anyways. The pablum. Yeah. So you're gonna have this baby. Okay, and I don't know whether you're going to breastfeed or not going to breastfeed, okay, but regardless of whether you're going to give the baby the, the, the bottle or whatever, this baby's going to start off with just a little bit of stuff, right? Okay, and when you breastfeed, have you ever breastfed? I've never breastfed. But anyways, Marsha has. And so, um, but the baby starts having the milk, right? No, not really. The baby starts getting the watery kind of stuff in the beginning. But somewhere along the line, the baby decides it wants what? It wants more, and it latches on better you know it's an exciting moment for a woman from what i understand anyways and the baby says no there's something deeper i'm going deeper on this one and they start bringing up they start saying forget the four milk i want the um colostrum am i right say again heinz hind milk anyways there we go i just need her to start teaching that one anyways so but then you know what even after the baby goes on with that milk for a while they get a little older and they start looking at you you ain't drinking that. You're eating something. And they say, you know what? I, I don't think I want this stuff anymore. I want more of what you got. And they start eating the mush stuff. I remember watching somebody who had a, like a little, uh, little mixer kind of thing, a little, you know, and they would put spaghetti in it and everything. And they're like, yeah, that's what I'm eating, but not quite the way I'm eating it. Anyways. And that's what they feed it again. So they'd eat everything we had, but it was a little kind of different. But you know, the kid was excited about it. Because it was a little bit different than what they were getting out of the way, right? But somewhere along the line, they decide what? I don't want that either. I want a little bit more. Until you get to the point where you're an adult and you're saying, and then maybe later you'd say, no, I can't. But anyways, but you get where I'm going. You want the steak and you want all this kind of stuff and you want to be able to eat. You're not content. Why do we get, as believers, we're content with just a colostrum? We're content with the four milk? Because it's hard work to dig deeper. Or maybe we don't have the desire. First Peter 2 says that as newborn babes, we ought to desire the sincere milk of the word. If so be, you've tasted of the grace of God, the graciousness of God. If you've tasted of the grace of God, if you know who he is, you will have a desire to grow in his grace. That's what Peter says in Second Peter 3, 8, 9, that you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this desire, this, this prayer of, of Paul. For the believers, first of all, the designation of the Spirit. Now, this is important. Again, it's another Jewish thing, okay? That there was a sevenfold Spirit of God that was recorded in Isaiah chapter 11, okay? Jesus, 
is the one who it's talked about here. Okay, there shall come forth a rod of the stem of Jesse. Okay, his delight is in the fear of Yahweh, and he shall not judge by the sights. With righteousness he shall judge the poor. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. It's talking about Jesus. Okay, talking about who Christ when Christ comes. Okay, but Jesus then had would have the sevenfold spirit of God. That's what you read about in the book of Revelation. Okay, the sevenfold spirit of God. So it's a spirit of. The Yahweh, spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of Yahweh. Okay, so there's a this sevenfold spirit that's there. Okay, I believe that's what Paul is is intimating, going back to when he's talking about this. Because again, if God's purpose for me is to be conformed to the image of Christ, then it's his purpose for me to have the mind of Christ. Yes, Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, how do you summarize that from the perspective of the way you think? It's the sevenfold spirit of God. Okay, so you come into this concept. And so Paul's saying, I'm praying for you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, and so the idea is spirit, is wisdom, okay, and is to know, it's kind of a knowledge thing, okay, um, you kind of glean it in life, okay, but revelation is something that's unfolded to you. It's got to be unveiled so that you see it. You can't find out about God and know about God unless what? He reveals it. Do you get it? So there's two sides of it. There's this part of wisdom, like the book of, when you read through this, this sevenfold spirit of God, doesn't it sound like Proverbs? Huh. And that's something. You want to know how to, to grow in the sevenfold spirit of God? Read the book of Proverbs. Read a chapter every day. Every day. Today's the 17th. You read the 17th chapter of Proverbs. Okay? 31 chapters, 31 days in a month. Read a chapter a day. Just keep doing it. Say, I got to get it bored. Get bored. I don't care. It's God's word. You want God's wisdom? Read God's word. Okay? It's all there for you. Okay? But Paul was praying then that they would grow, that they would be able to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay? Colossians, Paul said the same thing to them, and he concises it. Nothing is this kind of fun from what we're looking at in Ephesians. He says, for this reason we also pray, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk what? We're going to get there in chapter 4. But this is the whole goal. If you want to walk worthy, you want to walk according to it, you got to be able to grow in the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God. Okay? Of fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Because that's the first um, qualifier of this, the location of the Spirit. It's in the knowledge of God. If you want true wisdom, you want true understanding, you've got to go to the Word. And so, this is the part where I mentioned in Sunday school where the Lord just this morning just kind of reminded me, if thou criest after knowledge and lift your voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And if you want, I could actually do that better with a little bit of reggae into it and stuff like that because that's how I, I made that song up. Anyways, but I have it with a reggae beat in my brain. So anyways, so you can do what you want. A little, little sky, is that what they call it? Sky or sky drums and Anyways, so... um if you want wisdom, you want understanding, you want knowledge, you want discretion, you want discernment, where do you go to get it? To God. In His Word. In the knowledge of Him. If you want to know these things, you need to want to know Him. To know Him. Not know about Him. I hope that resonates. The songs we sang today were purposeful. They were all about knowing him and loving him. Knowing you, Jesus. So my song, when we first got saved, was um, all to Jesus. I'm sorry. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And I sang it for years. Graham Kendrick. I don't never met the guy. I'd love to meet the guy once. That song is my song. Knowing you, Jesus. All this 
um, world's revered and war to own. All I once thought gain, I count by loss. It's Philippians chapter 3. Do you want to know him? Do you really? Paul says, look, this is my, 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 my yearn, my desire, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, even being made conformable unto death. Not as though I'd already gained, either were already or attained, either were um, already, either were already attained. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? John seventeen, Jesus in his high priestly prayer said, "This is life eternal, that they may know you." the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Not knowing about you, but knowing you. Again, you've been here a while, you know this, but again, going through it again, just it's there. There are two primary words in the Greek to know. There's the word edo, oida, and the word gnosko. Edo, or oida, is the factual knowledge, to know about something. Gnosko is to know it relationally. Eternal life is gnosikoing God. It's not adoing God. You're working on a roof. And you ado gravity. You take a step too far to the side. And guess what happens? You start gnosikoing gravity. <laughs> you start learning intimately what gravity can do. And what a draw it can have upon you. Yeah? It's, it's funny until it happens to you. That's not so funny. But that's the difference. You guys may know Marsha. Some of you are getting to Gnosko, Marsha. But most of you, Oida and Edo, Marsha. I Gnosko, Marsha. Do you get it? She Gnoskos me. Not just what I reveal when I'm out here, but she sees everything. My kid sees everything. That's what we're called upon to do with Jesus. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Peter's last statement to the church. The last thing he wants everybody to remember. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge, gnosko, gnosis, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Jeremiah then says, let not the what? Rich man, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glory, glory in this, that he understands in what? Knows me, that I am Yahweh. This is Old Testament. It's not New Testament. It's Old Testament. Do you get it? This has always been God's desire. For man to have fellowship with him, to know him, not just know about him. He knows me. Yada. He knows me. That's the same word, Adam, Yada, Eve, and she gave birth a son. You get what I'm saying? They knew each other. That's the same word. God wants you to know him. Do you care? Do you want to? That's Paul's prayer. What do you pray for the other believers? Do they get a, a new dog, a new cat? They get a new car. They get a new house. They get more money. They get this. Paul's desire is for them to know, to know God, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That's his prayer. But it's built upon something. It's built upon this prerequisite. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Again, literal, okay, coming straight at it. Having had enlightened the eyes of your understanding. Having had enlightened. It's a perfect passive participle. I know, you say, well, what's that mean? Again, I didn't know my English until I learned Greek, okay? And I learned so much of my English when I learned Greek, okay? Perfect, again, is a past action that has a continuing result. Passive. I didn't have anything to do with it. It happened to me. 
Parsable, flower of the Greek language, it just adds a little bit of to the to the to the verb, right? So having had enlightened. Stop for a moment. Having had enlightened. How much enlightenment did you do to yourself? Zero. Zero. God illuminated your eyes, your spiritual eyes of understanding. It's the way of thinking. It's where we get the word mind, like dianoia. Okay, so like in um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, your dianoia, your understanding, your thinking, the way of thinking. And so nuos is the word for mind, dia is the word through. So through the mind, okay? And so the idea is what's going through your mind, okay? So your eyes have been enlightened of your mind so that you can what? You can understand. What's your desires? What do you hanker for? What do you think about? Now, this is a battle for Bob. Because Bob thinks a lot. Bob thinks an awful lot. Bob loves strategy games. Bob can spend too much time strategizing a game. Thinking about a game. Through the night, dreaming and thinking about a game. I know, women, you're looking at me like, huh? Yeah, I gotta attack this way. Oh, I gotta attack that way. Oh, I gotta do this. It's like playing chess. I mean, I can spend time going through the whole process of moving this, moving that, moving this, moving this in my brain. Wasted stuff. No, it's helping my brain. I'm justifying this. It's helping my brain to be able to, to, to think and work through things and to think logically. I'm justifying. I hope you understand. I'm justifying, okay? But that's what I justify, you know, like I help. I love when my brain is consumed with the Word of God. I love waking up in the morning singing praise songs. I love waking up in the middle of the night praying for somebody. Because my brain is so consumed with God. For Him. His desires. And again, I'm not setting myself up self-righteous. I don't mean it that way. But I just, just all I can do is teach from my own experiences, right? Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night praying for somebody? Isn't that kind of cool? You know God's using you at that moment. He woke you up for a particular purpose. I hate waking up singing a trash song of my past. I hate going to Lowe's and Home Depot and a lot of places. I hate being the age of the oldies and having that stuff in my brain. So I'm so... I want to be listening to praise songs. I want to be. I'm eclectic in my, my tastes. And I want to be singing praise songs to God so that in my brain, it's just happening all the time. That, like Philippians 2, just kind of popping out and to be able to sing praise to Him. I want that to happen. Don't you want that to happen? You ought to want that to happen. This prerequisite then, is like what um, Jesus talked about in Luke 24, that they were on the way to Emmaus, um, these two disciples, and they met this guy. And this guy said, hey, what's going on? He says, well, you're a stranger here? You don't know what's going on? And so they start having this conversation with this guy, this guy who, who, didn't, who, who they think don't under, doesn't understand anything. But all of a sudden, this man starts telling them all about Messiah and what Messiah needed to go through. Right? And in the midst of all this, we read, He opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Jesus has got to be the one. Everything's in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He has got to be the one who opens up your understanding. Do you understand? If you're again trying to do this on your own, you'll never get it. You've got to be praying, going to Him, seeking Him, His face. There's a lot of people who study the Word of God. A lot of theologians who study and teach it. But many of them, and I don't mean, I'm not judging, I'm not saying, potentially don't even know Him. Do you know Him? We've got to move on. So, Jesus said, you've got to change the way you think. Remember the word repent. Metanoia, again, nuanced thinking, so change your thinking. Okay, believe in the gospel. And then all of a sudden, 
It'll help you change everything else, okay? So let's move on. So the purpose of his prayer, okay, comes down to these three things. He wants them to be able to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God in order that they may know. Philippians chapter 4, right? Be anxious for nothing but all things with prayer and supplications. Um, um, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and mind Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are... Um, Say again. A report, if they're virtuous or praiseworthy, think on these things. So we're told to think on the things which are true. To think on the things, to know them. Really, is the word legitsumai, is to meditate on them, to, to calculate them, to put them to an account. Okay? Well, what are we supposed to know? First of all, I'm supposed to know the hope of his what? His calling. His calling. Not mine. His calling. He's done it. And there's a hope that's there. But a hope that if we can see it, if we can touch it, it's not what? Hope. That's what he's stating um, in here. We're saved in this hope. for We hope for what we do not see. We eagerly await for with per- perseverance. Because hope is something that we don't necessarily see. Have you ever been to heaven before? No. But you're waiting for it, aren't you? Do you believe it's there? Do you know it's there? Yes. By faith. That you may know. Do you get it? That you may know what is the hope of the calling. It's not a matter that I'm guessing. Because a lot of times they get wishy-washy. Why? Because there's no confidence. It's a wishy-washy. I don't really know. If you don't know, it's because you don't really believe. It goes all the way back to faith. If, if you really have faith in God, you know that what God says is what? True. And if God, what God says is true, and God says this is what it's going to be, then you what? Then you know it. That they would know, secondly, the riches of God's inheritance. We talked about this when we went through First Peter in Sunday school, right? So that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith. You get it? That he wants you to know you have an inheritance. And it's rich. You are a child of God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've accepted Him, that you are a child of God, and you've got riches untold waiting for you in heaven. It's a done deal. That you would know the exceeding greatness of God's power toward the saints displayed in raising Christ from the dead. Do you get it? Your hope, the exceeding... um, um, My mind just gone. The hope of his calling. Our hope, then, is in our inheritance in heaven, which is based upon what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then what? Your faith is in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. What's your faith? Well, not just that Christ rose. Can we go honestly? Who cares if Christ rose from the dead? I mean, I do. But I'm going on this one, okay? If it doesn't affect you, doesn't matter. You die and psh, you go to nothing. Nothing happens. Annihilation, you die, you go back to the, the big whatever orb in the sky. Does Christ's resurrection matter? At that point? No. No, I know, but no, if, if that is all true, if that is what is true, then really Christ's resurrection means nothing. What's Christ's resurrection? The important of it. It's my hope. What's my hope? Eternal life. I'm going to be resurrected. Do you get it? You can't kill me. You can't kill me. You can stop this tent from living on the earth, but you can't kill me. I have eternal life right now. That's my hope. And when I leave this body, this mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will put on corruption. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm going to go there to my inheritance, which is incorruptible, undefiled, and is reserved in heaven for me. Do you get it? It's all based upon the fact that Jesus died for me. And this exceeding power, greatness of God's power, that he, he did this for who? The saints. He didn't do it for himself. He came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead for who? For me. For you. How cold is that? 
displayed then in establishing Christ above all else. There are certain things I, I can't tell you I fully get, I fully understand. Okay? I understand the triune nature of God. That, that God is, but I can't explain it. Because I don't fully understand it. So I, I get the fact that, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are three, and yet they are what? One. Yahweh, our God, is one. Right? He's one God. He's manifested himself. He's revealed himself. Whatever, however you want to say it, and people say, oh, that's unorthodox. You've got to say it this way. I don't really care how you say it. The reality is that he's not three persons. He's one person. He's manifested himself. He's revealed himself in three ways. I think Jesus and the Father are one. He said so. Does it make sense? And yet, the Father has established the Son. Given him authority over all things. Mind-boggling to me. So I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to describe to you exactly how all that happened. That wasn't there. I just know what God's word what? Declares. But what I do know then is that Jesus is what? Sovereign over what? It all. Everything. That's exactly right. In fact, he's sovereign then even above the body. This isn't Bob's church. It's not Steve's church. It's not David's church. It's not Chuck's church. It's not the elder's church. It's not your church. You get the privilege of being a part of the body. Does it make sense? But whose body is it? It's Jesus' church. It's his body. He's the head. And we together, as this little local part of the body, this local assembly, are something part of the bigger body (laughs) that he's in charge of. And he gets to roll and reign over it all. Whether you like it or not. And whether I like it or not, it's his. But this is Paul's prayer for these believers. That they would be able to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Having had their understanding enlightened. But he wanted them to know the greatness, the hope, the power, the inheritance. Do you pray for others in church? What do you pray for? Are your prayers primarily focused on the physical or on the spiritual? Can I challenge you? A, to start praying for others in the assembly if you don't already. B, to start praying for them spiritually, in the spirit, not physically, in the flesh. What is your desire for this assembly? Look, I struggled. Years ago, I was part of a mission agency when we were planting a church. And I just, I couldn't do it. I just had to go. I needed to have a five-year plan and a ten-year plan. I don't have a, what's my goal? My goal is to look more like Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. I can't explain it. What does it look like? I don't know what it looks like. Five years from now, hopefully we're there, and I can tell you a little bit what Jesus has done in our lives, and this is what it looks like. I don't care if we're a church of 50. I don't care if we're a church of 100. I don't care if we're a church of 250. Now, the next building we build, Lord willing, we're thinking about having about seating for 250 to 300, okay? So, oh, that's a weak vision. No, it's a good vision. We want to stay small. We want to be able to have intimacy. There's a little part of that that we understand. That part. But if God wants us to be a church of a 1,000 or a church of 10,000, then it will be a church of a 1,000 or a church of 10,000 because God's in charge. Does that make sense? But if he chooses for us to continue to be a church of 70, 80, 100, then we'll continue to be a church of 70, 80, 100. And I'm okay with it. Because it's not my church. It's not my church. And when you go out witnessing, I, always talk, I don't get... I don't get a commission. God never gives me commission. It's his. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Do the message. Share the message. Does it make sense? Pray. Pray for people. In Philippians 4, to nullify anxiousness, we're told to meditate, think upon the things which are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. So, what in Paul's prayer today, that we talked about today, can you be thinking on and being thankful for which will help you change the way you think. If you are struggling with anxiousness and anxiety in your life, I understand there's physical conditions, and I understand that we can talk about that part. But as a whole, most people, the struggle is not a physical condition. Um, 
it's more of a spiritual condition. They're anxious because they're trusting in themselves and they're looking to the world and they're not looking to God. That's one of the things I think we need to be praying for one another on. Okay? But if it's you yourself, self-talk, self-prayer, okay, what should you be praying for? What in this prayer that we looked at today are things that you are struggling with that you need to claim, that you need to understand, you need to be asking God to help you to grow in? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are the Most High God. There is no other God but you. And that you desire for us to walk in faith, true faith, knowing Jesus, that you are Yahweh incarnate. That's hard for my finite brain to to comprehend. And yet I know it's true because your word has declared it. So I claim it as truth. And you have revealed yourself to me in that manner. And I am so grateful to you for that. I ask, Lord, that you would cause us as an assembly to grow in your grace and your knowledge individually. Lord, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and, and, and understanding, but the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge that you have presented in your word and then that you give us individually, um, revealing yourself to us. Lord, I know, I know that there's individuals here who are yearning for that, so I ask that you would do that, you would answer their prayer. Lord, that you would knock their socks off. But Lord, for those who are struggling and, 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 and on the edge and and just are afraid of giving themselves up um, and losing control. Lord, that you would encourage them and, and allow them to be willing to, to give up control to you entirely. <coughs> you have all power, and you could do it even if you chose to do it without them wanting to. But you work within us, giving us that privilege of submitting to you. So I ask that you would help us to do that, Lord, that you would be honored and that you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.